Ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, welcome to another episode of Choreographers of War, your one-stop source for all things Harlequin in the war-torn worlds of Warhammer 40,000. We are, as always, brought to you in combination with the official Harlequin's Discord and the official Harlequin subreddit. I am your host, Batty, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, Rob. Hey guys, uh, Rob here. Uh, I want to introduce you to Gabe, the Harlegod, who... <laughs> I, I've given him his nickname, and he's stuck with it now. He can't change it. He's not allowed to, so... He doesn't have permissions. Yeah. We, oh, we, shit. We, did we take his permissions away? Because that would be really funny. Because, no, you I'm, do have I'm permission to. to change your nickname. That's like a standard we give everyone in the Discord who has a role permission. We're not that mean. Yes. <laughs> but yes, welcome, Gabe. Yep. Uh, hi, everyone. Um, for, I just came back from Seattle around three weeks ago. I scored 19 for my first GT. I'm happy to talk uh, Colloquins with these guys. Gabe has been a, uh, a longtime member of our subreddit, member of our community, member of our Discord, and we are happy to have him along to kind of kind of shoot some points with us. Yep. Yeah. Uh, really happy, actually. I love seeing his uh, comments and stuff, and it was so cool the weekend of watching him give us reports on his games. Like... I am, I'm excited. I think some of you guys saw me giving reports on my RTT this Saturday and uh, my MCM. I don't think I gave reports on because I, I was a little, I was very sleep exhausted. I, I was massively sleep deprived and very excited. And that's a terrible combo. Let me tell you. Don't go, make sure you get enough sleep hearing before your tournament, kids. Lots of excuses I'm hearing. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rob, what do we have on the docket to talk about this week? Actually, I should just lead us into in saying that um, I apologize for us kind of being on a bit of a flighty schedule recently. The summer has been absolutely crazy for a lot of us, especially myself included. I've been gone for multiple weekends at a time. I'm going away for almost two weeks straight in about a week and a half. So our schedule is going to be kind of all over the place until sometime in July. Sometime around like, like early to mid-July, we're going to be back on our regular uh, rotation, whether that is a semi-weekly or is it a bi-weekly, or whether that is like a uh, once-a-month release time. We're going to be back on a normal schedule, but right now we're kind of just sitting down and recording whenever we can, so I apologize for a little bit of that inconsistency, but we're going to iron it out quick once this whole madness of early summer kind of passes. Yeah, sounds right to me. We're definitely intending to get this fixed, and uh, it's partially my fault, so uh, partially baddies, partially just bad luck. Like, we're trying to get three people to plan is even harder than trying to get two people, and really wanted you guys to have a guest to hear this time. So. Oh, yeah. But with that out of the way, you want to uh, lead us into what our first uh, point of discussion is going to be today? Oh, yeah. So we're going to talk knights, guys. Knights, 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 everybody! All right. That was probably... I'm editing that out. So we're doing, like, Imperial Knights and Chaos Knights. But I think, am I the only one who's, like, really much more into Chaos Knights and their rules right now? Because they've got that sexy, like, solo thing going on oh, where all their guys are, like, pimped out and showing their feathers if they're Zeech or showing their, I don't know, yep. pus boils if they're Nurgle. <laughs> <laughs> so I admit I'm a little woefully inexperienced with the new knight information since it, like, just kind of hit us. But... Um, I've always had a more disposition towards Chaos Knights over Imperial Knights. I'm really excited to talk about it and kind of get that fervor going to learn more about it. So, but no, I'm with you. I'm much more into Chaos Knights than uh, Loyalist Imperial Knights, personally. Same, uh, same here. Like, the Dread Table, I didn't, re I didn't realize it, but it was a stackable table. So, holy shit, you have five t rounds of bonus, like slowly adding up over over turns because when i first saw it i thought I was like oh it's just some leadership uh, rubbish or nonsense but it turns out like this stuff 
can hit really hard. Like just even and also adding on top the um, the god favor rules and also the house rules. Gabe, if you're prepared, can you give us like a real quick breakdown of what that dread table is? Like what you're talking about? Yeah, sure. Um, so for everyone at home, uh, when you start out on turn one, you're stuck on one ability, which is called Dread Host, where everyone within range, or Dread Winters is 12, um, everyone subtracts LD, one LD for enemies and also subtract one combat attrition. And mm -hmm. then right now that's called a Doom Tree, it's in its very center. Doom, we start off with Doom, and then on turn two you can move from Doom to Despair or Doom to Darkness. And Darkness and Despair are where, that's where the real shit happens. But if you want to jump, say, turn two from Despair to something on turn four for uh, Darkness, you're going to have to go through Doom. That's kind of the trick, is that you have to, if you want to switch from one of those turn two to another, because turn five, you're always Doom again, because they get just a, mm -hmm. a final. Mm -hmm. And minus one leadership, you're probably thinking sucks, but that's where uh, we should probably start with Dread Test. That's kind of the, that's what this table is all about, is Dread Test. Yep. So anytime, uh, there are a bunch of rules in the Chaos Knights Codex which reference your opponent taking a dread test, and that means they just have to roll, um, roll for their leadership. Um, and they have to mm -hmm. roll under it for, it for something bad not to happen. So if it goes over, probably something bad will happen. And also, a lot of abilities in the book, starting with Doom from turn one, is that it's minus one leadership. So a lot of these rules mm -hmm. naturally synergize with one another really well, and also do not require any extra investment on Night Player's part. So if I understand it right, they, their custom set one of their custom secondaries even creates an aura around an objective. It's like uh, it's like you know, there have been various objective infection ones like spread the sickness, but this one is this one is next level. It creates a debuff aura of minus one leadership around the objective after it's been infected by the knights doing an action. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so, so it can add up really quickly. Unless you're like custodians <laughs> and Necrons, you can go from leadership 8 to 6 really quickly, and suddenly you're rolling a 7 more than half the time. Yeah, you're rolling... And, and that can mean oh, like shit's going down really fast. you time, and it's a huge fucking deal. Like, well, it's not always, but it can be stuff like you can't, you can only shoot the closest targets, and so on. Like, there's definitely some penalties here. Do Chaos Knights also get that free splash ability like the Imperialist Knights do, where you can just kind of include it in another army without losing your uh, yep. bonuses? Yes. Awesome. But it looks Hell like, yeah. similar to the Harlequin troops, this is going to be a thing going forward. I expect demons will get a similar rule. Yeah. But what they're balancing it is the leaks and... Well, we already know how they're balancing it. They've confirmed at the very least that you're going to start with about half the command points and then basically gain double the command points. So, mm -hmm. the, you know, you'll gain one command point every turn instead of every yeah, battle round. Yeah, as opposed to every battle round, mm -hmm. yeah. But you'll start with only six. So yep. it nets you 16 instead of 17. But the big thing is it means adding an extra detachment, like a super heavy auxiliary, is three base no matter what. So that's half yeah. of your starting CP gone if you want to include knights. Yeah, that's really Like, I was at my at most recent tournament, Don Hoosen was there. He was running, like, one CP to start, dude. <laughs> yep. And he had knights and everything. He had everything <laughs> mm -hmm. upgraded with all the C... He had, you know, he was paying for, like, what is it? What was it? Like, uh... The favors, um... The, 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 the Leviathans and other things to add to his list, like, the Relic Rule. Because that's big for Space yeah. Marines. If they want to include four right, right, units, the they often have to pay one command point right now. Yep. And so that'll be huge going forward. So, especially for poor Death Guard. Oh, alas, poor Death Guard. You're, you're my favorite Space <laughs> Marines, but you're, you're not going to do... You're going to... But they're releasing new secondaries as well, so we don't know what's going to happen. 
all the codex yeah. secondaries are getting thrown out and replaced for competitive play. Uh, in the rumor is the first weekend of July, like literally July third, I think it is. Is that Saturday? Okay. okay. I also want to remind everyone that night bases are huge, so a twelve-inch aura from each night is actually like yeah, that's one massive. and a half a table. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you have three guys walking around. It's just like oh, your entire army is to take a leadership test. Oh look, they don't get to shoot. Yeah. It's, it's huge because, and even if you're pushing into them and they're getting low, that just means you have units, you have more, you, you might have a few units at the back not into them, but all your units that want to get close and into melee, dread test. Like, that's, if you're in charge range, you're in dread test range. That's, that's yep. important as well. Um, that's very cool. On the other hand, it's interesting, they did a completely different, so that's all about debuffs. Mm -hmm. Imperial Knights are all about buffs to uh their big knights give buffs to their little small knights. knights minus oh, cool. one damage on the little knights <gasps> all kinds okay. of buffs. like and they have prayers okay. so they have a chaplain while the psychers have are uh, the psychers the chaos knights have psychers okay well that's kind of cool so like there is di they're now different it's like chaos space marines and space marines they're legit different yeah okay i can get behind that and they're not just edgelord knights anymore. Yeah, they, they have their, have their own, own like, set proprietary of, uh, game space. Actually, so I'm kind of annoyed about this. Chaos Knights, the way they work right now, if you have the old Imperial Knights versions, you just mm -hmm. you play them. Unless you get uh, a special bit, you add this bit on, you get an extra gun, you pay zero points for this gun, and you gain a keyword by switching to a new data sheet. It's really dumb. So every... A little Knight huh. data sheet has two versions. The crappy old version and yeah. the cool yeah. new version. That's the chaos <laughs> version. You're referring to armagers versus war dogs. Yes. Yeah. War dogs yeah, are okay. now... So basically, if you have an armager and you're playing it as war dogs... So war dogs have their own kit now, to make that clear. They got a new kit. Okay, okay. Now. I follow what you're trying to say now. Okay. And so every They're not just, kit you know, that you can... The same kit the only, Any kit that the old armagers could build still has a data sheet, but there's mm -hmm. also an equivalent... War dog data sheet in the chaos. Yeah. So chaos has like the crappy armager version, and then the cool war dog mm -hmm. version that gains an extra keyword for stratagems and stuff, and gotcha, gets an extra gotcha. gun okay. for zero points extra. <laughs> because why not? Well, it's just like that. That's kind of there. So they are individually genuinely more powerful. They pay. They can get for uh -huh. five more points per pop. Get a little out of line of sight. Strength five, AP zero, damage one, D six shot, blast, decent range. Mm -hmm. I think it's thirty six inch range. Havoc launcher on yeah. every single night on every single little night, mm -hmm. and they get key okay. extra keywords, and they can upgrade all their every slot gets an upgrade. So like, if you only include one little night in that slot, mm -hmm. that one's gonna be pimped. It's gonna pay points for pimpage, and it's gonna be like like it can literally be just like no show invuln. It loses its invuln save in melee, and then it pierces invuln saves at the same time. Blood, I think that's called blood yeah. shield, for example. So there are some okay. really cool upgrades. But yep. there's always trade-offs, and that's the big trade-off is that, like, your individual knights can get really pimped in Chaos Knights, but you're also dealing with debuffs, which are inherently, they get weaker as the game goes on, even if your individual debuffs get stronger. So it's a really interesting balance they've tried to pull here. It's kind of like the opposite of Drukhari, I would say, in a lot of ways. It's literally the anti-Drukhari army now. If I were to describe them, I would say they're, yeah, they're the anti-Drukhari. Well, Imperial Knights are like... Very Eldari-like. Very uh, Asuriani-like, I mean. Okay. And that they have a lot of synergies, but they're the opposite mm -hmm. in terms of toughness, obviously. It's like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, a bunch of ra a wraith army. 
if all you brought yeah, were okay. Wraith Lords and Wraith Knights. So how do we feel about Knights' competitibility, competitiveness, competitiveness, that's the word, uh, going into the, the the meta space that we have right now? I know it's so early, we're kind of making a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction, but how do we feel about them? What do they look like? So far, they've done well in events. They've top-forward events their first weekend, and let me check the data for this weekend. I haven't checked it, actually, which is embarrassing. I don't normally check it every morn Monday morning, but... Shame uh, on you. Life's been crazy, okay? <laughs> so let Do me see him more as a solo. They're actually not force. doing as hot. Uh, Chaos Knights had a 55.1% win rate uh, last week with 16 players. Uh, Gabe is coming for your spot, Rob. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> although, so... although I haven't seen a crunching of how many of these are like top four, or if they <laughs> had any placings. All right. Chaos Knights. Uh, it looks like. Their weekend win percent for this weekend was 52%. Their top 5% was 7%, I think, with 13 players. And they're, okay. including their old codex, they're at about 50% win rate still. Because mm. their old codex was the better one of the two for Perfectly casual balanced. play. But Imperial Knights are at 52% win rate this weekend. And they okay. have just okay. as many placements in the top five. Okay. okay. So I think they're just different play styles, and it was taking people a little longer to figure out Imperial Knights because, like, some of the Chaos Knight mm -hmm. stuff was just math. Like, throw out the throw down the Melta guns and be merry. <laughs> uh huh. Like they have insane Melta gun options, uh, and yeah. they're just like yeah. throw those down and Melta everybody to death. Uh, that that's a pretty simple strategy for Chaos Knights. Like as some people said, there's some mathematicalness to Chaos Knight lists that made them a little mm -hmm. simpler. But Imperial Knights, okay, so uh, Chaos Knights got fifth at Bug Eater, which was 96 players. Um, London Open, June. Oh, this is the one they do every month. I was like, 76 players? That doesn't sound right. Okay. Um, they had an Imperial Knights at 12th, 4-1. Summer Showdown GT in Ohio had Imperial Knights in second and Chaos Knights in fourth and Imperial Knights again in fifth. So they had three knights in the top, in the they had three of the four slots in the X1 bracket, which I think is where you'll see a lot of knights. Knights mm -hmm. are kind of an X1 army because they're they're kind of inherently skew, right? Like yeah, the next very one there was a, a, they're, but they're really especially in a small GT, which will define what a GT is later. That's mm -hmm. going to be part of our thing. Uh, small GTs especially is where they I think are going to thrive because like. Their ability to just consistently go X and 1. Like, there's another 24-player uh, GT, Imperial Knights 2nd, 32-player GT, Imperial Knights, or Chaos Knights 5th. Like, smaller events and just, like, getting decent win rates. They're going to be a really good beginner army, I think. They're going to be, like, similar to where I would like Space Marines to be in the long run. But at the same time, they do have the weakness of... They are skews, so actually winning... You're not going to probably mm -hmm. ever win LVO. If you win LVO with knights, LVO is broken. That's a sign that knights yeah. are way too... That's why knights got... The, the, that is a problem with the meta game. that one time, and they <laughs> yeah. know what they did. The Castellan knows what it did. <laughs> you know what you did. <laughs> we don't talk about that time. <laughs> that is yeah, why I we think... aren't allowed... That's why they're careful about souping now. Anyone can soup, yeah. but they're making it harder to do with the new rule set as they introduce it with Harlequins, presumably demons, and then also knights. So, like, I mean, who knows? Maybe Tau will get, uh, maybe uh, those, because it's, 
Oh, fun fact. It's been confirmed. The people who gave... It's basically confirmed. The people who gave Tau ion weaponry were the squats. And that so means squats probably that... have, like, safe ion guns. Like, they, yes. don't need to, they don't do models and don't explode. Yeah, and the thing is, that means that they got them... Uh, or in the older lore, they got them from the squat replacement race, which I've already forgotten the name of. That was uh, uh -huh. an ally of the Tau. So the squats could be able to say ally with, like... They could be... Potentially, I could see them being able to ally with any army, or at least being able to ally mm -hmm. with both Tau, like how GS, GSC can take Guard. I could see Tau yeah. being able to take Squats. Because in lore, they're actually, like, there's groups of Squats huh, that are friendly with that. them. Or at least there were right now. We don't know what the new hmm. lore is going to be, which is important, <laughs> but... So have we seen any sort of trending uh, meta lists coming out of Knights yet? Uh, that would be this weekend's data, and I don't think anyone's had okay. time to cr cr comb over it because you'd have to. That's really totally look at fair. This. We can talk about that next time. Then yeah. not a big deal. <laughs> um, have either of you had experience playing against or with the new Knight Codex? I have. I've played into Chaos Knights. What about you guys? I played into I have Hero been. Knights at an ROTT. Cool. All right. Why don't I, you I go assume first? you're referring to post Codex. Yeah, post Codex. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was also playing with uh, Tyranids instead of Harlequins, so. Okay. Still, w tell us what you thought. Like, what what was your? My opponent was playing Imperial Knights, and there's a um I don't know the exact combo, but in the Imperial Knights Codex, there's a stratagem where on a six to hit or wound, damage of the weapon is dealt in mortal form. So there is like a combination of all the traits, relics, and stratagems, including that one, where you can make it such a way fire of your volcano lance. If you just happen oh, to roll yeah. a six, and there's an ability to make a roll a, di a die roll a six, so you can just instantly just meme someone to death in the model wounds. Like, okay, my model cow cannon does <laughs> 10 damage, wrote, does 10 models. I think you wrote about this on the Discord, yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> and unfortunately, my I was playing Tyranids, right? So I'm like, I'm just like, you know, cool, you kill a bug, and the two bugs next to him, and that's fine. Like, I'm still really, really point efficient. I'm also playing Data Scry Salvage on a GW terrain. Um, this is going a bit into, like, the mission, like, mission, uh, what missions yeah. need, but Data Scry Salvage, for folks who don't know, is the mission where you want the most speed. Um, okay. You just need a ton of speed for that mission. It's six objectives, and it's the really, it's longest deployment for both sides. Mm -hmm. So, and Knights just struggle on that with uh, GW terrain, because I'm hiding behind these giant boxes. There's nothing he can do about it. And every turn, I'm just sending Chaff up to die to, like, scroll my stranglehold or whatever. And then once I widow down a knight enough, I just send in the super souped-up um, flyrant to, like, you know, trampling charge, recropolit erect, seven attacks, hitting on twos, uh, rerolling ones, uh, hitting mm -hmm. strengths like, like 15 or whatever, rerolling wounds, and, you know, that's a dead knight. Because knights right now don't have great invul saves in melee. Um, you, need, you only get it specifically in, like, certain relics or houses, yeah. which means that if you have a big, stompy, like, giant melee threat, Knights have to be super careful about that. And unfortunately, a flyer, you know, move 17, advancing charges with Onslaught. They're basically so it was, it was really rough for my opponent. That's what I think of the tyrant, flying tyrant, the, the tyrants as. Are they're basically large Dark Rose Queens if they have the uh, the relic sword that right. lets them, yeah. It's, it's very absurd. Any overrun back. <laughs> I overrun them back, and then I hit it behind a wall because it's GW2. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's one of those things where, like, uh, in a lot of situations, I saw that cannon across. I'd be really scared, but with terrain and with setup and the mission, it made it really hard for knights to operate. Like, knights do have a tension where, oh shit, you know, I have to do these actions, I have to get on these points, and and yeah. so in this building, you know, they they really need to think like, okay, who is going to be the dummy knight that sits around and like does actions for me to score me points? Because you still need to win. If if you realize you roll up the table, you see the terrain, you see the mission, you're like, oh shit, I can't mm. like I can't like just table my opponent and call it a day. 
you have to able to swap to something like realistic. Like, okay, I can score points by doing A, B, C, and D. Because knights have, a, like the imperial knights at least, have a great uh, secondary objective. Uh, there, there's a one called like Uphold the Vow or something. Uh, let's see. Oh, is that the uh, you where know they ground. don't get any minus points? They get like three points or whatever, so they just have to be careful? They just need to, uh, sorry, this is the one where you score two points if you control half or more of the objectives. If you, and there are no enemies in your deployment zone. And one more if you did not move closer to your board edge. Right. And no one wants to get up to knights because you you stomp them good, you know. So it's a really easy like five points every turn just by like staying on your side of board and keeping your opponent out. Oh, and you get an extra point if it's completed by a Titanic model. Cool. Exactly. So so there there's a, there are good ways for knights to score without just like having to run in and just kill your opponent. Like, I, really I know like that's this. what like, people like, like to think about. Their version of warp ritual. This is what I yeah. wish warp ritual sometimes was when I'm like, can I have fifteen points, please? No. <laughs> anyway, no, so but it was really spicy. Like see, seeing the giant model wooden gun go off, that, that was really spicy. That was that was hilarious. Also, the relic with sixteen shots, sorry, twelve shots and D six, like strength eight, like strength six AP two or two damage. That's another funny gun. That's that that, that sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah, there, there are some like crazy weapons. Um, yeah, their weapons in, in definitely. Their relic some of their weapons got buffed severely. Like their battle cannons are all now the equivalent of relic battle cannons. So we can expect yep. guard are getting the same treatment of three damage battle cannons. So beware the guard that would. But no, it's only strength eight. I know only strength eight. What a, what a world we're living in. And but more importantly, <laughs> only AP two. So. Yep. But it is damage three. Yeah, so it uniquely like it's good into for example, harlequins if you have enough ballistic skill or can ignore minuses. Yeah. Terminators. Yeah, we do not like damage Terminators, three. yeah. Non-Death Guard Terminators don't like it. Um, it's. I think the battle cannons definitely have play, and that's what I was up against, was a double battle cannon plus the Psyker Knight and six little knights. The only problem was he went first, which sounds like a good thing, but considering how much trouble I had killing just one big knight that turn, the fact that mm -hmm. I basically got to walk into three, that I basically ended up with, you know, the Harlequin range jumping out and advancing and... <laughs> then a quick Shining Spears unit and the Incarn popping up on his turn after he killed a squad of rangers. I'm like, oh, snap. Feed me three little knights and one big knight. That's literally half your list gone. Yep. Turn one. Yeah, all... Have fun. Like, I felt like a jerk because my list is designed specifically to do that because I, I, I kind of over went into the Tyranids knights matchup. And that's what my opponent felt like in his games. Like... He played against Don Hoosin, and, like, Don's list was all about the anti-Tyranid, anti-Knight game. Like, he had, like, yeah. Volkites, and he had, like, Redempt- not Redemptors, uh, the- the ones that just got announced as plastic, um, that dread? Leviathan. 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 I think he had Leviathans is what I heard in, uh, with, uh, Volkite, which I don't even know what those have. I'm like, I assume they have better Volkite than Contemptors. And then he no, had, no, like... I think it's the same. I think, it's I think he had, I like, the same. two squads of three of the Mephitic Blight Haulers, and those just absolutely no-show big monsters and knights. Like, they're just, like, two multi-melta uh, multi and a missile launcher, and they have enough melee and close range that you can't, like, if you're playing an army like that... Modern Tyranids don't have enough chafe to keep them busy, especially in squads of three. And they can be mm -hmm. minus one to damage taken. I think and yes. minus one shots against Minus them, one right? shots, sorry. Yeah, minus one shots. It, which it, is, like, having Melta is insane. Like, yeah, it goes you have That was so fun back in the day. Having multi-Melta from... Uh, uh, <laughs> Retributors and the like. Yeah. Oh. But yeah, so, like... 
people are geared for the night meta, I think is a large part of it. So like if you're geared for mm -hmm. the night meta, you're just going to stomp. But if you aren't, yeah. you're going to get tabled. So, if you're a Tau player planning to kill bugs and you bring like three hammerheads, like that will make the night players cry a lot yes, as well. Yes, that's the problem is a lot of what you bring for Tyranids is all... Tyranid big bugs is what you bring for knights, so you just go a little extra heavy on it. Although I switched, I put some haywire bikes in, which we'll talk about later. Cause uh, yeah. I think uh, we've we've kind of discussed, you know, we need more experience with knights now. We'll try to go over oh, some for of their sure. lists They're still brand next new. time and uh, maybe geek out about how much I love the idea of loyalist death guard and horse heresy next time as well, because that'll be <laughs> that release. But um, we uh, are the meat of our episode this time is uh, about tournaments, which we just started yep. talking about. Quinky dink? Yeah. Maybe, maybe not. We'll let you decide. But, yes. So we just had um, two relatively large-scale tournaments that Gabe and Rob both attended, so we thought this was a good opportunity to kind of segue into what tournaments are like, how to get involved in them, what you should expect as a fresh face walking into them, and just kind of talk about their experiences and my experience as well, even though I'm kind of on the back burner of uh, Tabletop 40K right now, my previous experience at them, and kind of how we how we can help you guys transition into that into that space. Yeah, so first off, I don't freaking care what GW says. Put your models on the right size base. And the right size base is whatever your TO says, but generally once a year, FLG will come out with a guide that'll tell you it. Mm -hmm. yep. And I know it can get confusing. Even GW will ship, has there are certain models that get shipped with random sized bases. Like they can be it's a so 40 or a 50. It's ridiculous. So you can't really play with what they're shipped with because they're not consistent. And that's really important, especially once you go back to like, I think there were 22 millimeter bases from first edition. And then they dropped those for 25s in second. So if you have an old enough Space Marine, he's on a base size that literally doesn't exist anymore. Yep. Yeah. And if you have an old enough Terminator, he's on a elf. He's on a small elf base size. Big elves yeah, are on 28.5s now. And I know it sucks. You're going to have to convert your craft worlds to 28.5s, but they're, don't buy them from GW because, one, GW never has them in stock, and, two, they're ridiculously expensive. Just eBay uh -huh. them, guys. Like, people will make you <laughs> a bajillion bases. Like, I bought, like, 300 bases or something for, like, 15 bucks or, like, yep. almost a penny a pop. It was ridiculous. Okay, not a penny a pop. Uh, 10 cents a pop, 8 cents a pop, something yeah, like that. And people make FDM bases that are... Really good, too. Like Rob said, worth pennies. That once you zhuzh them up and spice them up with a little bit of, like, basing material and make them pretty, it, who cares? They yeah, work. They literally the look end. just like GW <laughs> bases to start with. The only difference is the interior is that if you flip them up, they have a little, like, they might have a little ring or they might have slightly different, you know, mold lines. Did I say FDM? I meant MDF. Yeah, MDF, though, you can get, uh, you don't even need MDF. You can get plastic ones nowadays. They're dirt cheap. Yeah. I bought, as I said, I bought them in sets of, like, 80 or something per, or 60 per. Mm -hmm. And they were, like, I want to say 8 bucks for 60-ish, 7 bucks. So, like, once I got, like, because they'll usually do uh, quantity deals on these. So, like, if you're going to do a whole redo, L's are moving to 28.5s. Not all of them, yep. and not yet, but you might as well stock up on them now when you can get a good deal in bulk. <laughs> yeah. Because this just is really important. And ask your local players. A lot of them will be more than happy to give you bases, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, especially if oh, they're yeah. old base sizes. I literally don't know what to do with all my 25s, 32s, 40s. I have extra 60s that I ordered, but they're the, the non-flying 60s. So I have like 
50 non-flying 60s. I will literally give them, <laughs> I literally give bases to people for free. If like, I'm like, please somebody these, take I them off my bases. hands. I'm like, I'm like, you know, at the club throwing bases out. 100 millimeters, 60 millimeters. Love me, man. Making it rain bases. Because you can occasionally get certain sizes. Like 25 millimeters, you can get cheap from GW. Like 100 or something. Yeah, they're, they're a dime a dozen. Yeah. yeah. But like most sizes are a little expensive from GW. And getting pre-painted bases, you can only get those from third-party sellers. But even some of the like, yeah. like the Necromunda bases look pretty badass. And you can get an okay deal on those. Um, mm -hmm. Like depending upon what army you play and what bases they need. Look into it, because there are some really cool, even pre-based stuff where you just have to paint it, like, a little bit. Like, people make third parties, make Necron bases, Orc bases, every type of base you could imagine. Yep. But get it on the right size base. I don't care, as Batty put it, you can have a paper cutout as long as it's on the right size base. At an exactly. RTT. And what's an RTT? A Rogue Trader Tournament. That is our first word of the day. Do do do. <laughs> So your RTT is going to be like your local, your, I want to say small scale, but is the smallest on the scale of a sanctioned tournament throughout the ITC circuit. And we'll talk about what that, what that entails in just a moment. But your RTT is kind of the equivalent of like doing FNM for Magic, where it is usually an event that has a, what is the maximum for an RTT? Of there isn't even a 20s? maximum. It's just an okay. RTT is three it's rounds, like... generally speaking, is the unofficial right. rule. Like, okay, that's fair. Four yeah, so rounds it's is a three-round tournament. You can have like Iron Man RTTs, which are four rounds. Mm -hmm. But often, but these are tournaments that you're usually around like ten. You'll have like yeah. two people undefeated at the end because you mm -hmm. with three rounds you can only do up to eight people if you want everybody ranked. Exactly. Order, yeah. So, but these are going to be usually the the most introductory, the most. Uh, New player-friendly tournaments that you're going to find. You can usually find these, you know, every other week, every month at most established local game stores that host 40k. Um, these are usually what a lot of TTS organizers will be running, will be RTT-level events, so on and so forth. These are really the place that you want to kind of dip your feet in and kind of get introduced to the competitive world of Warhammer 40k. Yeah, definitely the place to start. And interestingly, RTTs are about the only si are the only size events where it's generally okay if you're the tournament organizer to also play in the tournament. So if you need to, if you want, if there's no tournaments around, but you know there are players, make your own tournament. It's not that hard. Uh, the BCP app is kind of shit, but it's better than it was, I guess. Uh <laughs> yeah, just get ready to play free days. I'm uh, oh, sorry, not free days. Just free rounds worth of games. So oh typically it's one day. Um, uh, yeah, like even one day is pretty, nine. by the time you get to game three, yeah. even on the first day, expect to be tired. That's one of the things, mistakes I make with my list is like even by game two, you're starting, you're a little mentally worn out because, you know. Right. Uh-huh. Well, because you think about it, how most events usually sanction between two and a half to three hours per game, yep. and then there's usually like like a meal or like like a like an a hour refresher break. break in between, like round one and two or two and three. So you're gonna be there for like ten yeah. hours. <laughs> it, it, it's definitely a step up for a lot of casual players who go from playing like maybe one game, like you know, on, on a Saturday or Sunday, and then they play yeah. like three games. And it's it's and like the first time I played the RTT, it was just like holy shit, it's mentally draining yeah. to be there and be like. Sure, like round one, I feel great about, yeah. about playing Work Halloween, on that cardio. Round, when round three get comes, your cardio like, in. You're going to need it for your war hams. Work on your hamstrings yeah. to improve your war hams. <laughs> <laughs> no, but for all the new casual players, it's definitely the best way to get into it and see you know, if this is the right way you like to play for you because 
you'll be geeking out with other people who love the hobby. Oh my god, the, it's so fun! Like for one whole day. Yeah, hundred percent. They've started a local league, and I am not in it yet because I was still in the process of painting, and I didn't want to sign up yet. But I'm signing up for the next one. But somebody asked me if I was signed up in the league because they wanted to play another game between our two armies. And I was like, I really wish I was, and I'm going to sign up for the next league. But it's like literally a citywide, like, you have to play, like, I think five games in ten weeks or something. It's not too bad, but it's, mm -hmm. you know, those are different. Those are the other way you can start playing competitively is leagues. Uh, they're not part of the – they actually will give you ITC points usually too. Uh, they'll give you generally more than a GT – more than a small huh. GT, I believe, but not more than, like, that. a major or whatever. You just won't have enough players. <laughs> no, that's fair, yeah. Yeah, so they'll give you about as much as a small GT, and oftentimes leagues happen with multiple stores involved. Um, they're really cool. They're really fun. You should look into them. If Because uh, some areas, especially, like, I've heard California is really big on leagues versus they practically invented the modern league format, I've heard, with, like, pods and stuff compared to... I believe uh, that. Uh, like Alpha League, I think uses the same. Uh, th that's a TTS league. They use the same format, I guess, as like one of the California, as like the SoCal League or whatever. So like leagues can be a big deal, in and they do give you ITC points. So if you're just trying to get best in faction, you probably do need a couple majors, maybe three. But like you could fill a league in there for your fourth or third score and be perfectly fine. If you like, if you can stomp your locals, but you don't want to do a bunch of games in one day because you've got disabilities or whatever. Leagues are great. So also, after you go on, Gabe. Oh, sorry, I'll also just add that, like, uh, compared to the GT and the major levels, RTTs are typically because it's less, like, it's more, it's more friendly, it's more casual, it's more introductory. You can talk yeah. to your TO and talk about, like, you know, exceptions, rules, whatever. Typically, people are cool with, like, you know, if, if you're not fully painted or whatever, like, are you playing a proxy? Like, this is pretty much the only level of competitive play where it may be accepted and okay by the TO. So. If you have, like, yeah. a guy who's not painted right, like, you can't talk to a TO. People will work with you. Like, this is the level where, like, you mm -hmm. know, people are testing new lists. People are not running, like, you fully see, optimized, you see a, ready to like, go. I did an elf mirror, and it was funny because each one of us had gray plastic, but none of us had the same unit in gray plastic. So there was no confusion on that, <laughs> at least. Because it was Inari Dark versus Inari Dark. It was hella fun. Uh, he might even listen to the podcast. Uh, he apparently was a uh, member of this Discord. So, no. Oh. Because yeah. I'll say it's it's tough like getting a two, full two K together, and I, I get it. You just want to play and like build your build your dudes and mm -hmm. you know have them fight. So the RTTs are a great place to do that. Like even if they're not fully battle standards. Yeah, like you don't have to be. You just put some primer on them. Heck, put primer on ha put primer on half of them. Put contrast on a quarter and the other contrast other quarter gray, and you'll probably be okay. And if they're close to what you see is what you get. Like say some of them have the same, wrong weapons, but you're like this squad is all the same weapon. Nobody will care. Heck, with Harlequins, I don't even put my arms on usually. I just people. Just, I was just gonna say the same thing. <laughs> my arms are magnetized. I was just gonna say the I same thing. I don't actually put them on like almost any game. Like I might do it yeah, for the first game of the tournament, and then they fall off, and I just stop putting them back on. I'm like, okay, yep. that's it. They fell off. GG. <laughs> for larger tournaments, especially with people I don't know, I will be more diligent at putting my arms on. But for like local tournaments at my LGS where I'm known, you know, I know most of the people I'm playing against, I don't bother with them. It's just too much of a hassle. Talking about being known, so Batty is actually known as Batty to I like people in the real world call him Batty. I was shocked by this fact. <laughs> I met somebody yeah. and I was like, the admin of the Holoquin Discord, and they were like, Oh, you mean Batty? And I was like, Holy shit, yep. does does he actually? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> 
they he just goes by batty he's insane <laughs> i mean it works i just this this brief and uh related to that uh those of you in the know will know about uh a certain well-known 3d printer who puts a lot of stuff on shapeways but check their website as well because they put a lot of like stuff like drukari sales and stuff that can't sell efficiently yep. through shapeways but they have like conversion kits d cannons all kinds of useful stuff i've bought mm -hmm. from them uh, Archon 3D Smiths. Why am I pretending? We're not a GW ain't paying right. me. Archon 3D Smiths. These guys are cool, <laughs> but they do custom yeah. orders. Baddies are uh, going to be talking to them about that. That's actually yep. And they're uh, they're working on they're I've bought a bunch from them like uh, back when we had to do multiple weapons, but I'm going to use them for conversions now. So that's a great way if you want to convert your players to get enough weapons is buy them 3D printed. And they're uh, last I heard working on a neuro disruptor. So I don't yep, know if it's sweet. out yet, but they were working on one. And then they'll have every single thing except for the Shuriken pistols, which you can just buy. And the Harlequin's and blades, Moss. which one, Harlequin's blades can look like anything. Shuriken pistols are literally like, there's like a thousand different 3D prints for them, guys. Like you can get mm -hmm. them. I literally bought like a hundred Shuriken pistols at one point. I wasn't even sure what I was going to use them for. I just was like, well, this is what they sell them in because it has to do with pricing. So uh, if you wait a bit, sometimes you'll see the lot size go up at shape especially at shapeways people will be like they'll be like how are they selling me 20 helmets for the same price as they were selling 10 it's just it's it's it, a long it, all, story. it all comes out the print bed the same yeah it comes out to the print that's cost. how printers work <laughs> printers yeah. are magic <laughs> yeah a buddy of mine was talking about it because he prints D D minis and he's like it costs me the same amount of material and time to print one orc for D D as it does to print 40 because i can fit them all on the bed together yeah because yep. that's usually you print in a bed is what it's called so yeah. like you print in terms of that and the actual material costs are so close to zero that it's just the cost of the bed area so like 20 helmets can cost as much as 10 because you basically are using the same space for 20 helmets and it's the area not the that's why like sales you can't buy on shapeways because like a drukari sale would cost like a hundred dollars via their pricing model so like obviously they aren't going to try to sell that but you can buy them separately anyways we've gone way off track <laughs> <laughs> uh sorry about that guys i just uh, 3d Not printing i have a couple friends who do it and i've learned i've almost bought into it like two or three times i've been that close to hitting the amazon market the hitting the buy button so i've learned a lot yep. about it and it's really cool like as i learn more it's it's i'm not sure it's the future of the hobby just like printing isn't the future of codexes like we all own printers but we don't print our own codexes but <laughs> yeah like we do print our own you know rules reference sheets we print our own army lists like there are uses for this so okay rtt's bases what about GTs and majors. Those are the big ones, as you can tell by the one called major. That's you know. Yeah. So m moving on past the RTT level, you get to what is called the GT level. These are going to be your intermediate level events, not quite to the LVO, the ACO, the um, London Open, so on and so forth. Not n nothing to that that quite scale. But these are going to be the relatively moderate size events. These events are usually two days long, mm -hmm. running between five and six rounds across, like I said, across two days. Um, these will usually encompass a lot of... This is where you're going to see a lot of bigger name players kind of come out of the woodwork, because these events are going to be worth good points towards their, uh, towards their 
or ITC scores. And not to mention, they're just a lot of fun because they're multi-day events. It kind of keeps the timbre a little bit lower. You kind of spread out your action a little bit, and it's it kind of turns into its own little holiday, its own little like vacation event. And they're a lot of fun. They're genuinely a lot of fun. You have to prepare for them. You have to kind of make time out of your, you know, you got to set aside your weekend. You got to kind of prepare for it. There's usually a bit of a higher standard when it comes to uh, model entry. Modeling as in how your especially. models are painted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. How your models are painted, how your bases are done, how WYSIWYG your models are. We'll talk about what, what a WYSIWYG But if you're WYSIWYG you and not minutes. good at painting, hey, I got the third lowest lowest paint score at the uh, event I went to. But that means two people scored lower than me. So, you know. Hey, someone's got to hold up that caboose. Somebody, you got to yeah. start somewhere. Like, I'm, I'm adding to my paint jobs as I go. My next event I'm going to be better painted at. So, you know, I'm going to Nova. Going to be much better painted, I hope, by then. But uh, airbrushes, very cool. Look into them. That's all. I'm going to, no more tangents. <laughs> but on majors, that's that's the kind of comparison. So, like, if a GT is a staycation, a major is a vacation. Mm, that's fair. These are six days. These are almost always eight rounds with the final day being, or nine rounds. And the final day is either, they either split into pods, usually after game five. That's Nova style. Although USO mm-hmm. does it pseudo Nova, but splits after four games, which is kind of controversial actually that they split so early. Anyways, um, we'll not get into that though. But or they'll hold Sunday, what's called the Sunday RTT afterwards, which is basically so basically yep. you're gonna get in if you want to get in eight or nine games, even if you don't make the top cut, you're gonna get it in. Don't worry about that. Like that's where what majors are. They're like a whole weekend. They're literally a vacation. My vacations are now based around majors and christmas with family so like that's technically we used to have the old term super major but we don't really differentiate anymore gts versus majors though what do you guys think about that gap isn't there like a player limit for majors or something i know i know gts can be anywhere between like 30 players to 200 yeah and then majors have like what's the i'm just curious like for those at home like what's the cap to to be defined as a major besides the events is that like a player limit or anything else uh, there isn't any more, but it's roughly around 100 players is the gap. Roughly under 100 is a GT, roughly over 100, especially once you get into that day three is a major. That's kind yeah, of there the used to be a hard limit for actual player attendance for what major event between a major and a, and a GT and, and the yeah. extinct term super major. There used to be actual like player gaps that... Full, like fully delineated what was what. Now it's a bit more nebulous in just how you structure your event and what sort of rounds you're running. And those were always kind of funny because they were really small numbers because they were set in like 2014 or 15. <laughs> yeah. So like there were a lot of places calling themselves a GT that were technically majors and a lot of majors mm-hmm. that were still calling themselves a GT but technically actually a super major at that point because it used to just be you had RTT and GT. Single day and multi-day. Oh, Iron Mans. Uh, I've never done one of these, but uh, I think we brought them up earlier for RTTs. Do you guys do you guys have any experience with these or even know what they are? I do not. No, I've, I've heard of the term, but I've never yeah. done one myself. Same here. Same here. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Moving on. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, WYSIWYG. Um, I have a confession to make. Uh, my players mm-hmm. are magnetized. Like... I literally got a tiny ass drill belt, went to yeah. the arms, and I, I was just like, you know what, players, free arms, you know, free arms on the one side, free arms on the other side. I don't want to give GW any more money. 
Mm-hmm. Also, mm-hmm. my my thirty fusion vote list is dead. Uh, it's only two fusions now, and also neo disruptors are good. And who the hell had neo disruptors like back in the, in the past? So I I, I did <laughs> sit down, and naturally, that my advice to anyone is: if you're new, like don't worry about it. Don't worry about magnetizing. But as you get better, have that in the mm-hmm. back of your mind. It may be worth it just to, so that you can always have a load that you want, and you yeah. only need to do it once. And that's me shilling for magnetizing. Oh yeah, Rob and I go on about it all the time. We love magnetizing. We are big, big proponents for magnetizing. The only your question models. is whether you magnetize your troops because they're so small. And I like, for example, it turns out you need a bigger magnet in the uh, in the troop itself versus in the arm, or else they fall mm-hmm. off even more often. <laughs> yeah. So that's I the difference between the people whose too. troops arms always fall off and the people whose don't is that they put a bigger magnet in yep. the body than the arm. I didn't know to do yep. that, so. My player's arms are magnetized, both sides. Uh, it, 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 it was really, really delicate. I was really worried about like breaking out the pit. Oh, the yeah, physically. it's hard. Mm-hmm. I ended up getting it, it is a it. it is a labor of love. <laughs> but it's so worth it, because sometimes I see so folks like, post their lists. They post their lists on the, on the Discord, and I am talking about like you know, loads of stuff, and I'm like, hey, you, know, you should maybe change that and that, and they're like, oh, shit, it's all glued in. I'm like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> So let, let's backtrack just like half a step. Um, Gabe, can you tell us what WYSIWYG means? Sure. Uh, I mean, it's uh, what you see is what you get. So if you say that your loadout is exactly as this on, on the list you submitted, when you see the physical model representing that unit, it's exactly the same. So if you have bow guns, it's bow guns. If you have melter, it's a melter. Uh, there's no difference. You can't be like, here's a grenade launcher, but actually it's a plasma gun. Um, so tournaments do expect you to have a WYSIWYG army. So there isn't any ambiguity or confusion about what is showing up to yep. the table. Yeah. So, and as you get higher into the the echelon of tournaments, the burden of authenticity falls on you as the player to make your models have the correct equipment, make them look correct, make them be the correct profile, make them be on the correct basis, so on and so forth. Once you have, once you're in like the lower ranks, like you know RTT level, you kind of have that. You kind of have a little bit of a uh, a good faith argument for WYSIWYGs. Like, okay, my unit is all. You know, Harlequin's blades, regardless of what's on the model. Okay, sure, whatever. I can suspend that disbelief. But when you're walking around saying, this guy has an embrace, this guy has a crest, these two have blades, yada, 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 you end up having that bit of a nebulous construct where, like, you can kind of fudge the numbers and people kind of lose lose track and lose faith. That's where you really need to kind of hammer down and be like, okay, I'm using the correct bits to delineate what is proper here. And as, as you get to the higher level of tournaments, that's kind of just expected and understood. So try to make the effort to, again, as we were talking about with Magnet specifically, make that contingency plan to build your models to adapt to the list you want to play because the models i was running in eighth edition where as gabe was saying where i was running 30 fusion pistols mm-mm, not anymore so you have to kind of work around that um also uh it's especially pertinent for us as polyquin players because all our weapons even though they're the same stats like the strats are so different and suddenly being like hey it's actually not embraced but he's a caress now i'm ignoring invals that's like yep. that's a big red flag a, for, if you try exactly. to do that RTT or, or higher. Like RTTs, even like you know, don't be surprised if you do that. And like you know, the judge comes off and like, hey, they, you know, that's not very cool. Yeah, no, exactly. That, that's exactly what I was trying to uh, articulate before. You really need to make this cut and dry and clear for your opponent. And the easiest, most clear cut, most you know, unambiguous way to do that is just have the correct bit on the model. Yeah, and uh, like for example, I pulled the caress strap for the first time into an opponent who'd fought me multiple times. Well, I played the caress strap against him on a solitaire, but he didn't realize it could work on just a troop. So he was yeah. super like, "What? Uh, how did you do that? Uh, what? I mean, it was TTS, so obviously the models were perfect, but like, mm-hmm. you want to make you don't want to get in that situation IRL. That that would yeah, be exactly that would be bad." <laughs> 
And that also affects your sportsmanship score, too. Yeah! And same with the pistols. Like, you, you know, you have a new disruptor doing one more wound versus, you know, a wound roll going through and suddenly, like, oh, it's D6 plus 2. Oops. Yeah, wait, what? Like, you know, your, 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 your custodian bike is just dead. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a very different conversation you have to have. And, and it's, it's misleading, you know, even if it's not intentional, even if you're not trying to intentionally obfuscate what you're using, it's misleading. People get the wrong impressions or ends up being a conflict and an issue. Just just avoid the problem. Just do your due diligence, you know? It's also good for you so you don't lose track of your own models when you're playing. <laughs> like, okay, these are the oh, naked sure. squads, yeah. you know, who are going to do R&D in my corner. That's it. They're not fighting. And these are the guys yeah. with all the guns and stuff. And I'm sending those guys out forward to smash the enemy. Yeah, exactly, and it helps you in the long run, so you end up pulling the correct models, positioning the correct models where you belong, where you mean them to belong. Like, you can't be like, oh, I intended to have my fusion pistol up at the front of the squad so he was in range. Uh, well, sorry, you didn't. You know, you need to be able to make that clear for both yourself and your opponent. So, now that we cracked down on what WYSIWYG means, let's talk about actually getting, getting ready for your first events. How do you actually prepare for and start to, you know, rev into your first RTTs and then kind of transitioning into GTs and majors? So, what's some advice you guys could give to some brand new players or even just some old veterans who are trying to get back into the game to try to get ready for their first tournaments? I think a big part of it is uh, just before you even, like, build a list or whatever. I think it's important to sit down and, you know, imagine what goals you have for yourself for the event. Um, especially when you're playing like competitively for the first time. Like, it's highly unlikely you'll go in there and just, like, you know, smash everyone and take, the, yeah. and take first. Like, and that's okay. You know, you, you need to say that to yourself and say, okay, so in that case, you know, what should my goal be? Am I trying to go even? Should I, should I go, like, you know, 3-2? Two, two, mm -hmm. you, you should decide that expectation for yourself because that will guide you know, your, your games and your attitude going forward. I think that's a big part of it because 40K is a social hobby and it's not like video games where you play someone once and then you don't like them and that's it. You know, like, you know, you never see them yeah. again. It's a random. But 40K, mm -hmm. you're stuck with another person for better or worse for the next three hours. Yeah. It's an interactive process. Yep. So you want to decide like mentally yourself, like, you know, what do I want? What do I get out of the hobby? Why am I going to an event? You know, what do I want out of the event? And what do I want out of my opponents? Mm -hmm. and Precisely. It, once you determine, you know, do I want to win really hard? You know, do I want to do the best I can? And then once you have that, that will guide your process in list building and thinking about your interactions throughout the games and also with the people themselves. So, like, my, my first step is, like, A, like, I always ask new players, like, decide, like, what's your goal realistically for this event and how will you get to it? Yeah. Um, the second one, I think, is um, just list building, putting paint on it, and just getting ready and putting yourself in the right mindset, like f surrounding yourself with other folks who are also in the event. Um, mm -hmm. I highly recommend if you have one, go and find a local team, go and find local players who are probably also going to the same event as you, uh, if it's a big one in the neighborhood, and just seeing what's going on. And like, uh, you know, what are people talking about? What are people worried about? What are people bringing, you know? Like, not, and so you can kind of like gauge, you know, okay, you know, if these are if these are cool show guys, you know, I'm happy to just share a drink with them after the game. Um, a lot of competitive players will tell you like the games and food, sorry, the drinks and food after the games are really what be, bring people to these large yep. events. Yep. And I mean, even on like lower end tables, you can find, especially on lower end. But even some of the I've played some pretty top players, and they're just like it's actually the players who are really trying to get above the mid bracket and barely mid bracketing that are the worst in my experience. They're yep. the they're what people mean when they say like win at all cost players. Like I've played uh -huh. an actual top player and we just talked the game out the last two turns after like a very intense three turn fight and like it was hella fun. Like I made some I made two grievous mistakes because it was my first game at a major and I was nervous, but uh it was by far much more chill playing against an ex-ITC champion than it was playing against, like... Joe Schmo, who's got something to prove. Yes, 
and doesn't know my rules and is like, are you sure you can do that? And I'm like, dude, it's elf bullshit. Why are you still asking if I can do elf bullshit? Of course I can do elf bullshit. I will show you the rule and read it out for you. But like... Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing with any other game. People that are trying to claw their way out of that 50 percentile are going to be the most... Uh, yeah, it's, it's that... It's difficult that to swallow. Silver, it's, it's, the, it's that silver four versus silver three. Once you get yep. to the holy land of silver three, they know they're never going higher. And they're happy about that. They're like, I'm better than all the scrubs, and I'm worse than all the good people. That's, you know, we all think that, though, don't we? You know, everyone worse than me is a scrub, and everyone better than me is a tryhard. But, like, you you can try hard and still be bad at this game. Proof? Me. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can build a good list and pilot it, but I don't want to. I want to have fun. I didn't... Oh, yeah. I had way more fun losing 2-4... Uh, in six out of nine games that I managed to play than I ever had winning, like, 5-1 with Harlequins when they were broken and I was still only running three Void Weavers in Dark. Like, that was just not fun, man. Like, I'd rather win yeah. on my... I'd rather lose on my own terms than win on someone else's. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> And fair. that's, like, what type of player you are. And part of that you'll learn as you play competitively. Like, I'm, a, uh, Oh, God, it's, uh... Timby? I think it's Timmy. I'm the com I'm the guy who has to build his own list every time. <laughs> That, that's a Timmy, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, I can't win. Even if I build my own list and win, if I feel like my list was too easy, I get mad. I'm like, no, I can't be winning. This is, I feel like I'm cheating. I'm not trying enough. And it's like, well, that was the whole point of building a really good list, wasn't it? No, I don't know. I don't know, man. I just, I got to have a tough game or else I, and fun. Like, I want both sides to have fun. What Rob is mentioning is the uh, the player type system that kind of follows a psychological type profile that is very prominent in Magic the Gathering. It's yes. very popular in MTG. But you reference four different types of players based on their list Three or types. deck building. There are uh, there's there's four. A second, no, the fourth one is actually part of a second psychographic profile. There's, okay. there's six. It's just that the fourth one was named before the other two in that set. I, I guess that's fair, but there, there are a, a, a set of profiles that kind of delineate how your philosophy works in building your profile. And you can be too, you have like, what... I'm a little bit of a spike. I try hard within my limits, mm -hmm. but, like, I have stupid limits I set for myself. <laughs> yeah, so as Rob is mentioning, you have Timmy, which is the, I like to go big, I like to go wide, I like to make, you know, things happen, I like to be just kind of like a presence, kind of like a force multiplier. You have what's called Johnny, which is the combo player, the one who likes to chain react, the one who likes to make, you know, very niche scenarios kind of build up in this big climactic fallout, and then you have the spike, which is the, not so much win at all costs, but the efficient player, the one who's going to do things the most efficient, the most proper, the most kind of direct for the throat way they can they're going to be the most consistent player and some people kind of straddle the line like rob mentioned I, i'm very much a johnny by heart i'm a combo player i like to make big dumb stuff kind of chain together you know we talked about several times before i like to try to throw my solitaires into knights and see what happens you know that's how that's that's me yeah and it's uh but like it also can tell you know Spikes aren't necessarily bad. I've met a lot of spikes, and they're some of my favorite oh, people. Oh, 100%. Actually, almost yeah. all the spikes I've met are some of my favorite people. I, like, I really get a... They push you, and I like that. Yes. I'm like, make me lose. Mm -hmm. Make me yes, lose exactly. so that I can try to beat you again the second time. And the third time. Yeah. And the fourth time. 
Yeah, Spike doesn't necessarily mean you are the toxic win-at-all-cost, you know, I'm gonna beat you until you're miserable player, but they are the most analytical, they are usually the more experienced, they are the ones who are going to be able to find those line of plays that my brain doesn't see, and that's really important for any kind of competitive game. Yeah, like, the, the most dangerous are, like, the Sieglers who are, like, uh... They're, they're uh, the Johnny Spike. Yeah. They're, and he's, like, perfectly balanced. He does the massive brain, but he does it in his own way, and he analyzes it down to the depth but he brings he doesn't care about he cares about the meta so he can beat it not follow it but he does want to win <laughs> but looping back around I, I really like the point that Gabe brought up about rtt's about having realistic expectations about what you want out of the event you know nobody expects his first time player to come in and just rock an rtt go three and oh and take home the prize and you know be all high and mighty that's i mean it can happen but it's unrealistic there are also even huge ranges of rtt's like there's very casual rtt's where i could walk up in 3-0 there's also rtt's oh, exactly. where i'd be lucky to get one win because like the rtt i just was at like everyone was basically a shark except for like two people like and even then, one of them was a well-known World Leaders player who was, like, famous on the World Leaders Discord and stuff as, like, one mm -hmm. of the best. So, like, even though he was playing World Leaders, he was one of the best World Leaders players in the planet. So, like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I, I live about, in a local like, meta. Everyone at that tournament, except the one person I beat, and he's, he knows that. We're best. We're really <laughs> good friends, and I've helped him improve a lot, and he has improved a lot. Yeah, I live in a local meta that consists of a lot, a handful, quite a few of, you know, former Beast Coast alumni. Yeah. So even walking into an RTT at my local game store is very tumultuous uh, ground to stand on. Um, I'll also just say, uh, when you play in a tournament, you're on the exact same record as someone, pretty much, most of the time. Uh, like, you know, yeah. draws and whatever, which means if you rock into someone who's, like, playing God or whatever, you know, that's actually, like, scary, because whoever they are, they're really, really, really good with what the hell they're playing. Like, or they got really lucky with their matchups. But even then, that meant they made a list that could at least snipe right. certain matchups. So, you know. Like, if you're 6-0 and and suddenly you're running into Death God, like, this person must have know something like that you don't know. And you, and you just need to, you have to find out. Let's be real. If you're 6-0 <laughs> and you're running into Death Guard, that's Dodd Hoosin you're playing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I I find that at least in the in the competitive scene, like some people do get really fixated on like the win rates and like the all like the theory, right? all the numbers and stuff, and that's important. But I do feel like sometimes it does distract people from like, playing though. the that's game like, the only right in front of them. We have is what is going to show up list wise. That's what matters is what's going to show up and then what you're going to face along your win path. If you want to be really serious, those are the two things you should care about. And one of those is just the population count combined partially with win counts. So, like, you need to know what's making it to the tops because that's what you'll fight at the top tables. You also need to know what's at the low to mid at the mid tables because what if you run into knights and knights are right. back to three twoing every event? Well, they'll still have yeah. a good win rate, even an above average win rate, but they won't be amazing. So, if you don't prepare for them because you don't see them in the top fours, they'll just table you and you'll be their third win, and then they'll go lose two times. But it's too late. You already yep. went two one. You're not. You're not. You're out of the running, man. You got to be ready. So the same actually also goes for, um, what do you call it? When someone pl uh, plays like, like, so this goes back to your, uh, you deciding what army to bring as part of the tournament. Like, are you okay with setting some of these bad matchups? If you know Tyranids and Tower running everywhere, like, are you okay uh, bringing an army that has a, a weaker matchup into them? Yeah. Uh, that that does factor into it. Um, although in my case, I only have one army ready to go, so it's Harlequin. So I was just, okay. and, and, and they're also pretty good. So it, it all works out. But 
if you happen to have multiple armies, um, which you're lucky to have if you're a new player, like this is a factor is that, you know, knowing what's out there, at least locally, if you know the scene, knowing like who may show up, are you okay like taking some bad matchups? So knowing that you have some really great ones as well. Uh, that all goes back yeah. into tournament prep and just assessing like, okay, what type of player am I? Am I cool playing really technical Harlequins for like six rounds? Or am I going to just like, you know, maybe wind it down a bit, you know, back when Crusher Stampede was a thing. I feel like people do underestimate that if you're playing Crusher Stampede or like Fix City, it's a lot easier to pilot. So on, on a mental strain, mm. it's a lot easier. Like compared to RCTs, especially like GTs and majors, you're running and playing this game for nine hours in a row pretty much. And it gets really exhausting. And you do talk here about people like losing their sixth game or seventh game because of one mistake that they would make. That they yeah. would never make in any other situation, mainly because they played already for two days straight. Yeah, it's exhausting. You need to, you can't, it takes something special to win nine rounds in a row with Admech. Like, you have to, like, Admech is one of the hardest armies to play, even round one, let alone oh, yeah. round nine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think that's part of their, just being a little, you know, politicky. I think that's part of why their win rates are low, because I don't think, I think they need buffs, but I also think that. Nobody good wants to play that because it's a pain in the butt, and... The mental strain is yeah. just a lot. Yeah. So let's let's talk about a little bit our personal experiences with our... Like, you know, go back in the, in, the, in the highlight reel for a little bit. Let's talk about our personal experiences for some of our first events. Like, how we actually got involved in the tournament scene, what our first couple events looked like. And I can tell you from personal experience what my first RTT was like. It was back in early, mid... 8th edition. It was, you know, I think I don't think my Harlequins even had a codex yet. I think it was still in the Wild West soup days where I could run a little bit of everything and still be Battleforged. Um, I remember my first RTT in my local tournament. I was actually 2-0 going into the final round at the top table. And I was feeling good. I was like, I wasn't high and mighty, but I was like, alright, cool. I actually do know how to play this game. I actually am enjoying myself. And then I got paired up against Chad Layton, one of the best Necron players in the world. And a at the time, at the, at the time a very good friend of mine. And I was just like, shit <laughs> and completely just just stonewalled my momentum and i was dead and, and no, i was functionally dead turn one and i was like oh this is what high level play looks like and it was simultaneously soul crushing and motivating at the same time you know yeah i actually oh, yeah. had a i don't know if i should jump in right here but i do have a very similar experience um uh this was my first gt this is the one i recently played at seattle um like before, before this, I only play, ever played. I haven't even played an RT. I played in one RTT. I was mainly ba I was that guy on the disco who spent way too much time like talking about tactics and like theory crafting, and playing and beating people on TTS. And I, in terms of like how I felt, I was at like locally. Or, like, also, do that more. We like that. Like in terms of comp, I have no idea how good I was. So when uh, when GW announced Seattle, I was like, okay, I have to go. That's it's, it's a thirty minute yeah. drive, and I I can't travel for a bunch of this stuff, but it's thirty minutes. I have to go and see how how well I do. Yeah, and you know, we can maybe go into it later. I built, I built a like big brain light defensive to the last list, and I'm like, okay, let me just see how well I do. I'll just, I'll, I'll just play the best I can each round and see how I go. And uh, game uh, day one, I beat all my games. And I was feeling at top of the world. I remember talking to a friend of mine. I'm like, okay, look, day two, I don't really have a great plan for, for Terranids. I'm hoping to dodge the matchup. I wake up the next day. I open BCP. I was uh -huh. matched against Tyranids, piloted by of Alex McDougal uh, from the Out of War team. Yeah. And I instantly knew in my head, like, okay, the odds of me winning are low, but okay, what do I want to do with this? Like, how do I score high? And, mm -hmm. and, and of course, like, you know, this was back in, when Encircle of Prey is still, like, the way it was, like, the old version. 
But yeah. it turned in a weird way. Like people who ask me to scrap that game is actually really really dull. I basically disembarked my players, set a boat forward, exposed stranglehold, and that was the, that was a turn. Because I couldn't go yeah. out with anything. Because back then, like Mala Scepters would just eat your entire army for lunch if you let them. Mm-hmm. And I did, yeah. I, I did lose, uh, but it was a very high loss, so it it did help me with placing. Uh, so I, I did realize that okay, like this is a really good tier in a player, but let me just see what I can do, and I, let me just appreciate the fact that I have a chance to play a really good player, and also see what I can learn from it. Um, don't let that stonewall your momentum. You might run into you. You could pair into John Lennon day one at LVO. Like that's just how it is. It ran luck of the draw. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I literally, my first game ever at a major was into an ex-ITC champion. I mean, from 7th edition, but still, his main army was Tyranids, and that's what he was piloting. (laughs) Oh, yeah, no. I've I've had local GTs in my area where my second round draw was Nick Nonavati. Like, what do I do? What do I do? (laughs) Lose. That's what I do. (laughs) And and funny enough, like... Alex was my only loss in a GT portion of the tournament because uh, uh, the next game I played was like the best. I feel like the best 40k play game I ever played because it's just like learning from a good player, talking tactics with them. It does change yeah. your perspective. It is a valuable experience for you if you're hoping to grow. And I highly recommend. Like, yes, you know, it's, it sucks to get up, you know your shit kicked in and like losing like that. But also, like, you do learn a lot. Like the way the the the, the, the method, you know, the ways they think about things, and also how they how they play. It's all worth learning from if you're trying to get more competitive in the game. A hundred percent. Rob, why don't you tell us a little bit how about like how some of your first RTTs differed from your recent trip to um, to uh, MCM? Well, so I'd been to super casual RTTs, and that was totally different from a serious major. Like even my serious, I've now been to two serious RTTs. One as a Sunday RTT after the major, and one as like like the difference in capacity and opponent and see like just huge like. I can't, you can't show up to like a serious RTT with good players with literally mm. whatever models you've bought off eBay that are already painted, plus the few models <laughs> you've already painted in the army that just got a new codex and 2-1, like I did my very first RTT. That's not going to happen. That's not a thing. Oh, yeah. As, also, in a GT, uh, the players yeah. are really, really good. I, I find that at least in terms of like practicing and talking about TTS a bit. Like, TTS is kind of like, you have no idea what you're going to get. But I, I found, at least in a GT, like, rounds one and two can be a bit like TTS. And then afterwards, you have people who, like, really knew their stuff. Yeah. Especially the second round. Like, if you are if you go 1-1, one, one, that's when, like, things start getting interesting. Because you've got at least one win, so you're not facing the bottom tables. You might not be facing drunk people. Like, my fifth game was going to be in the <laughs> Hail of Doom when I was 1-3. Hail of Doom! And it was a good yeah. list! So, you know what's funny? There's a bit of a hot take. I've only been to two major or, you know, super major level events. I feel like GTs are more competitive than majors and super majors. Because I, I feel like, like people are actually top, grinding like the mid those. tables are probably more competitive. Like, the low tables are definitely less competitive than a super major. There's a lot of people there who are just on yeah. vacation to drink. And then there's Brad Chester, oh, yeah. who's on vacation there to drink and get to the top eights. <laughs> He's special. <laughs> <laughs> Even on day two, I was playing against Custodes and Tau, which unfortunately were four of my six games uh, was Custodes and Tau. Uh-huh. But it was Welcome just like... Welcome to saturation. Exactly. And it was just like, oh, snap. I, I was not... The gas was always on. The foot was always... Sorry. The foot yeah. was always on the gas pedal. Like, I wasn't chilling, even yeah. though I'm on the, my sixth game. Like, people were really gunning. Yeah, the one game I wasn't le- was less serious that felt like I was playing into a less serious opponent was my third game, and I got my butt kicked. And guess what? That's also the guy who... uh 
Archon 3D Smiths that we mentioned before. He runs them. He was playing uh, his custom Drukari, and I'm like, like, yep. turns out that guy, turns out if you're really into 40K, you're really into 40K. And then I had a, <laughs> I, like, the players I was playing against were people I knew from, like, I bought products from them, or, like, three of the players I knew yeah. from before the tournament. Like, not knew yep. them in person, but knew who they were. Yeah. Yeah, you, if you play locally, you definitely see people and recognize some faces. Yeah, that too. Locally, you get to know people, and that can help you. Because, like, mm -hmm. there's only so many top players, and they do cycle. Like, TTS has brought in some very top players. Like, the current top of the ITC is a member of the T5S2 league, uh, uh, circuit, which is the uh, basically the online equivalent of ITC for TTS, and he's currently yeah. number one in the... I, I mean, it's not that big of a deal that's really in the ITC, but you still gotta be good to get that, like... <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. You're not getting that because you're a bad player. And this is, uh, what's his name? Uh, David Gaylard, who placed top, I want to say top four at, uh, LVO. So... Mm -hmm. Oh, it also helps to have people to talk to between rounds, so because you can talk yeah. and talk, especially for factions you've never played against. Like you know, you're playing in someone yeah. who's like you know driving in or flying in, and you're like, oh shit, I've never played against like Custodes or Tau or whatever. And then, yeah. and then you, you need people to bounce ideas off of. Mm -hmm. That was what I really felt I was missing at uh, Motor City Mayhem. Was I flew out from Phoenix to a tournament that like is far enough away from like the part of the East Coast my Team Battle Brothers is on that like I didn't mm -hmm. really know anyone. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not like you could have just come out here to you know ACO or something and linked up with some TBB people, but you were kind of in the middle of nowhere, kind of at a home and also out of your safe space yeah, of your team. Which so, was really was fun. Like it was hella. Like I, enjoy, I, dude, it's just a bunch of nerds doing nerd shit. <laughs> like it's so, it's so freaking fun. Like you're just like, oh my god, you're a nerd. I'm a nerd. Let's be nerd friends. <laughs> pretty, pretty and then you just nerd people. it out for three hours, making pew pew yep. soldier pew pew noises over your toy soldiers like you gotta you gotta remember <laughs> at the end of the day we're playing war dollies guys like exactly <laughs> it's a game get over yourself <laughs> and that's part of the fun though you're playing a game with like other other nerds you're playing a nerdy game with other nerds you're you're living the dream you're an adult who's flown out on vacation getting pto probably to just nerd it out like hells yeah so gabe did you say that this was your First actual sanctioned event? Yes. Uh, so I mean, I played some RTTs, but it's my first like okay sanctioned. Okay. Like, I guess like where I get ITC points. Okay, that was fair. actually okay. the same here because the RTTs I'd been to didn't give ITC points, so okay. they were like, yeah. So people wondered what the hell I was doing when I was like free and Owen and like you know climbing up the ranks. Like who the hell is this guy? Like playing Harlequins? Yeah. And I'm just like, I was, Who the hell's this guy? I don't know either. <laughs> I was literally just like, okay, let me just look at the matchup and just play the best I can and like, you know, focus on, the, on everything else later. Cause I'm just like, okay, let me see how far I can go. And it turns out like, okay, like, okay, being a fucking nerd on TTS a lot of times and playing a ton of games does help, uh, turns out. <laughs> so I, I, so I, I will say like for anyone who's new, especially, um, the best way to get better it's just to run more reps. Like even if you're not learning much from them, just to play more reps and get more experience. That that will help a lot. Um, mm -hmm. Once you get, you, you take the games later and analyze them for like you know what you could have done better, what choices you could have made. But just getting comfortable, being able to play games, especially when you're on a clock at a GT level, like just being able to run through the motions and like know and also thinking of your opponent's time is very important. Like I found that those are all the things I practiced. Whether I, I didn't know it, but just like playing a bunch of games on TTS, 
And also just heavy exposure uh, through a lot of actions, through TTS as well. That was what helped. But however, once I got to the table and after a few rounds, I realized like, okay, competitive is totally different because these guys, down to like the choices that they're making in list building, those were actually just, it, it shows. Yeah. Uh, people are not just copying lists anymore and just like running them. People, here, here's the guy who made that list and he knows everything mm-hmm. in and out. And that was how I felt like playing to some of my opponents. It's just like, it's just like I can feel this guy knows exactly what he's doing. He, he, I know his goals. And I can feel a lot of pressure, even though I feel like I'm doing okay. Like, you know, I feel like I'm in a good position, like board state or whatever. But I can tell, like, if the moment I slip up, this guy will come in and take my lunch money. Yep. That's the microplay is just unfathomable sometimes with these players. Yeah, I definitely have a tendency to be too over-aggressive. And it gets hard punished IRL compared to even on by good TTS players who are like, mm-hmm. can be caught aside by it because they're not used, they're not like even, and some of them are really good where the aggression was the correct move, but like, I tend to choose it whether it's the correct move or not. It's it's a fault of my play and I'm working on it. But I mean, and that's part of it. You have to acknowledge, you have to figure out what your play style is, build your list for it, learn to play your list. There's a mm-hmm. lot to it, man. It's not easy. If your opponent takes assassinate at a GT, you can bet they have a plan for it, even if it's killing all your characters in turn five. Typically, yeah. you know, you don't. Typically, you imagine like you score gradually. You know, it's on some objectives, but there mm-hmm. are folks out there who literally, who literally look at your list and they're like, okay, th- this is a game where I have to be aggressor. I'll score these things, but these things have to happen on turn five or something. People know. Like I've, I've seen the guy do the math, and I lost my. So in, in, in Seattle, the last two rounds didn't count for in terms of like uh, what pod you were in, and you're out of the running. It's the first six games. But my last yeah. opponent, well, I lost an odd player who literally knew he would be ahead by like three or four points, like on turn three, and I didn't know it. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and it, it was just like like hearing him talk about his thought process. It was just like holy shit! Like this guy, he's played a lot. He's on top of ITC. I forgot his name, but he's top of ITC Ox. And even though yeah, it's like people are like oh Harlequins versus Ox, you got it, man. I'm like nope, it's abandoned no, sanctuary. Ox is a really hard matchup for Harlequins. Real talk, like I play against a player who's no doubt better than me. And, like, I win by, like, one point into orcs. Like, literally one point or two points. Like, orcs are surprisingly difficult. Like, and that's something you need to know. Like, he probably knew that the Harlequin matchup was unusually good for orcs compared yeah. to their other matchups. So. It was also a great mission for him, uh, Abandoned Sanctuaries, which is a really close deployment and all the objectives are where orcs want to be anyway. So, like, players who have a lot of reps with a lot of their favorite armies, like, literally, you know, like, okay, mission favorable, yes, no, you know. Rules, uh, mission rules, yes, no, favorable. And then they see your army and they can already make the calculus on what they need to do and what has to happen. They're like, uh, in order to make they're like you're watching an anime, they're the guy with the glasses that glint and they push them yeah. up. And we are, I'm not that guy, so... <laughs> And I also, wish I orcs, was that guy, but... if they go turn one, you know, like truck boys are in your face. <laughs> it doesn't matter what's happening. Like here, here, <laughs> here they are. You know, I was like, I was like, okay, I really want to go first. Yeah, oh and they God. have a, they have, they have plans for going first, going second. They have plans for yep. everything. There's a, there's a lot less thinking on your feet at the top level in a sense that I mean, they're thinking on their feet. They're like analyzing a situation, but a lot of the thinking has already been done like beforehand in other games. You know, in debrief sessions, in their own personal time, they have already did, they, they spent the mental power to like figure all this out so that when they're at the game, they're just, you know, re- they're recalculating, but also just executing. And, and that's that's very different. Like, like you can tell, like, how mm-hmm. hard someone's thinking does tell you, like, you know, whether they experience or not in a way, because a lot of these players have seen the same situation at board state. Like, not the exact same one, but similar ones a lot of times. Yep, where it becomes almost second nature. They kind of just have these... I mean, it's, it's so much like chess. 
It's so much yeah. like chess. <laughs> I, I definitely have had events or like games where I feel like I win and my opponent's like really crestfallen and they're like, oh shit, you killed like a thousand points or whatever. And now I don't think I can win. Uh-huh. And that may be true. And I think dude, and some people do give up like early, but I do find like the really good, like the, the players I see at a GT level, like they, they were like, okay, I know I'm behind. Here are like the five possible things that need to happen if order for me to win. And then they will play, mm-hmm. you know, it's magic, you know, playing to your outs and like making sure that you let that be possible. And then when it does happen, you're just like, oh shit, am I losing now? Yeah, like the most I can do is think like, I can think about my initial win cons. And that's about as far as I get. And like, I know most of my matchups. I know the initial win cons, but then shit hits the fan. And I'm like, yep. I've never seen this before. And my brain just can't keep up. I overheat, man. You know, what happens if something explodes and then model wounds, you know, you, you, very, something very unfortunate dies and suddenly you realize like, oh snap, you know, that this is, this is like, it's happening. The, an- <laughs> the anime is happening. Your opponent like has figured out the five things that need to happen. The stars are aligning and you're like, oh <laughs> shit, it's happening. Yeah. Like you're, they're a wizard and you're like, you're Harry Potter year one. Sure. You're a wizard, but you, know, <laughs> you ain't They're They're next level. You got to be ready. You got to work to that level. And it takes a lot of reps and a lot yeah. of, you have to go to tournaments and get in the IRL prep too. Like most people aren't Richard Siegler who barely goes to any tournaments and then just shows up and starts winning super majors. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I don't want to intimidate, especially if you're a newer player, but that's really like the difference. So there's a very big difference between like, you know, there's, a, there's a theory crafting, but in terms of like the biggest sign of experience I found was just well, how they behave and how they act on the table, like executing their plan. Because um, I, I see at least, I feel like it's very easy to get sucked into the math hammer and like, you know, what's the most strongest death style you can build. But at the end of the day, yeah. like when you're building a list, if you're building a list, please think about how will I score 100 points? It's always about the points. And I think that mm-hmm. the focus on that is what drives someone who is like casual, comp casual to like fully competitive and efficient. It's just like, okay, you know, regardless of the matchup, what am, what, how many points am I getting out of this game? Yeah, it's a game about victory points, not about kill points anymore. Yeah, not kill points, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you don't. Yeah. You could lose every model and still win. So. Oh yeah. On that note, let's talk about our models and what models we're looking to lose on the table soon in terms of building and painting. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> okay, but what specific ones, Batty? So I'm actually working. So I finally got. It took me like six weeks since our last recording, but I finally got my hobby space cleared up, and I finally got and actually like started to rebuild my paint desk and get my get all my paint set set up and whatnot. I'm gonna be starting on my webway gate. Awesome. I don't know if it's gonna make it onto the tabletop, but it's at least going onto my display board. So I've got my webway gate going. Nice. Super, exci- super excited about that. I've got a new hobby. I've I've moved, so I have a new hobby area. Everything's there, but I don't even have a proper table. I have a tiny table. I like like I really need to improve it still. But I've at least got. I managed to keep my Warhammer stuff almost all intact. So that was nice. A good, thing. good for you. I am currently building up some three D painted Chikari because of the armor of renown. Oh, sorry, the army of renown that came out. I, uh, people, are, it's it's still all, and like you know, it's, the jury is still on how good it is, but I think it looks fun. Cool. Hell yeah. Oh, but specifically, I'm probably going to make another... I'm going to work on finishing one squad of Shroud Runners and Shining Spears and working on a second squad of Shroud Runners, uh, getting nice. paint on those, and um, also my uh, at least five uh, uh, Sky Runners so that I can, you know, get them looking good. Yep. Oh, that reminds me. I am starting to work on converting my Mogan Ra into a Death Jester now, the new Mogan Ra that just came out earlier this year. Yeah, yeah, I'm working on converting that into a Jeth Jester, which, as we talked about earlier in the episode, fitting it on a 25mm base currently is a pain in the 
ass because he's standing on that big old splayed out wraith bone that he's standing <laughs> on and getting that to fit in like a 25 uh, millimeter base profile is tough but um i've got some ideas that i'm playing with to make it work so i was surprised I'm definitely working on that too. even with his like flashy bits i made them run behind mm-hmm. him in kind of a v and it actually fits pretty yeah. well on a 25 millimeter i mean he has to be like on the edge of the front edge and then they have to go out behind him but it barely pokes yeah. out i'm really impressed with that like some of these changing models to new bases is hard though for sure like it's not it's not easy what I think I'm going to do, if uh, you guys remember, I have my, my whole army is like poker themed. It's like gambling themed, mm-hmm. like casino themed. Um, my Death Jester is standing on a like cut up, like beaten up poker chip that's cut out into the same shape, the yeah, same profile sh- as the Wraith Bone. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's cut out into a poker chip that's the same profile as the Wraith Bone base the generic model comes on. He's just sitting on that. I think I'm going to do the same thing with this one and just take another poker chip and cut it in half and fan it open like a V and have him standing open on that. That way it fits the theme, but it also fits a little more comfortably on a 25mm base. I think that's what I'm going to lean into. Hmm. I think I can kind of imagine that. Yeah, that seems very doable. Which I learned that poker chips have like that metal disc inside of them. Guess how I found that out. (laughs) That's a pair of shears that got ruined. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, are, are we planning for any events, any tournaments, any sort of uh, gameplay coming up? Uh, so I'm hoping to go to Nova. I've got a plane yes. and I've got tickets and I've got a hotel room figured out. I, I don't have a job Good at the moment, you. so I'm ho- hoping they're going to give me the days off wherever I end up working again. Uh, yeah. Because that's like, I should have something in July and that'll be in the end of August, beginning of September, I'd leave for that. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. we, we might see Batty there. We'll see. That could be a really cool Yeah, we're hoping. We both go. Yeah, yeah, we're hoping to, to, to make it out there together. We could record it at Nova. Oh, my God. That sounds like a horrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about you, Gabe? Do you have anything coming up? Uh, nothing in particular. I'm now back in like the real world, unfortunately. So I'm planning to just uh-huh, do my real I know world. That feel. <laughs> real world shit. I, the only event I have planned is Slanesh uh, this, which is all the way in December. Okay. Uh, again, a real That's world. still something to work for. Yeah. Uh, for all those who can empathize, like graduate school applications, uh, sad times. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. That is tough. <laughs> you want to get yeah, on so, those sooner rather than later. I think I hurt myself applying a little late, like I was applying to undergrad. So. Yep. So, like for me, like Seattle was a unique opportunity because it was so close. But I know that some RTTs and there's a, there are a few clubs here, so I'm really interested in just joining the one day events. But yeah, I, I hope to take some heads, you know, once I go and do another GT. One of the great things about RTTs is that it's the kind of thing that you kind of just be like, hey, I got a free Saturday. Is there a game store within like 30 miles of me that's holding a tournament and just go for the day? Yeah. You know, you can take the drive down, drive the hour, hour and a half to get there, and you know, play for the day. You don't need to buy a plane ticket. You don't need to buy like get hotel rooms and room with people. Exactly. Uh, it doesn't require a whole lot of forethought. You can kind of just pick up and do it. Yep. GT, RTTs especially. But GTs, if it's yep. somewhere close enough, I mean, even if it's an hour drive, that's not too bad if you're willing to wake up a little earlier. And oh yeah, also for all the people who are traveling, like please bring money, please bring food, and uh, sorry, and please uh, please bring water uh, at, at at your tournament. Water um, is so important. That was <laughs> what one of my friends emphasized, and like I always like, stay hydrated. Yes. <laughs> also, a thing about what three days of convention food does to your stomach if you are eating all day at a G- at a GTA level event. Like for me, I'm just like, okay, I had three days of chicken tenders. I just need to like you know, maybe eat something green <laughs> after that. Yeah. Uh huh. 
yeah, it can be it can be a little rough what you where what we eat at those events. Uh. <laughs> and you definitely feel it afterwards. Yeah. So you get home and you just feel like a brick sitting inside of you because you ate like garbage all weekend, <laughs> dude. But it can be delicious garbage. There was okay. They had get this. It but was calories like, don't count on vacation. It was like barbecue, kind of like a little sweeter, like Southwestern Kansas barbecue, pulled pork, <gasps> and. Oh. But they put pineapple on top of the sandwich. Ooh. And it went together like the little taininess, the half tan, yeah. half sweetness. It was like barbecue-esque. It was like, I was like, my mind yeah. was blown. It was delicious. I ordered that like three or four times while I was there. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the, that's the fun part. You don't, you know, don't, don't, don't focus on having fun at your tournaments. You know, that's. Why you're there? You're there 100%. to play games, guys. It's a children's war doll game. Also, only one person can come first. Like, if you're, if you're going, yeah. like, okay, it's realistic to, you know, if you're at the level to, like, say, okay, I really will get first, but do not just go there and say, like, if I don't get first, you know, it's not, it's a bad time. Like, please don't. It's a great game, it's a great hobby, a lot of great folks. Please have fun. That's, 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 that's rule number one. And more to the point, let your other players have fun. Everybody's there to enjoy themselves. Just. <laughs> You don't need to be really stuck up about it. Just enjoy your game. Enjoy the experience. Let other people have fun. Yeah. You know, it's a social event. And uh, so next time we'll re probably uh, either do more competitive stuff or I think we'll return to doing maybe a soup-based episode. We'll see. But uh, yeah. expect that episode to hit uh, early July or late yep. June. So it'll be closer to like three weeks, four weeks, possibly at most five, but probably three to four. So yep. we apologize, guys. It's just real life is we're still we, we we were so good the first few episodes. I thought we nailed it. And then I screwed up our pacing for this episode and it all went out the. Uh, this is how, we're, we're trying it was both to get of us. May and consistent. June is a hard time. For I me. think we're going to. So it was aiming, both of us. I think we're also going to be aiming for three weeks more as going forward rather than yeah. two weeks. So we don't run out of content. Just to pace to ourselves about. a little bit better. Yeah. But yeah. Hoping they drop the uh, Harlequin zombie every now and one day so we get more content. Oh, that'd be so cool. Or imagine if we got a new model. Oh my god. I'm hoping the kill team rumors still turn out to be true. And I think I still think that like us versus like squats would be the ultimate obvious kill team. Because we're basically wood <laughs> elves and squats are like dwarves. So like dwarves. <laughs> yeah. us versus them is like the grudge match, literally. Like, and I bet it'll turn out in their lore some Harlequin was the one who fucked them over. Not just regular Eldar. It'll be our fault. And that's how they'll justify I'm it. I'm so it'll here be for like, it. It'll be like, we'll finally have a nemesis besides Slanesh. I'm so here for it. <laughs> All right. Well. I think we're ready to call this an episode. Yeah. Um, as always, Rob, thank you for joining me. Gabe, thank you so much for joining us. We'll be sure to have you around more, even if we just need another talking head to bounce off uh, Rob's nonsense. Of course. So, <laughs> it has been an absolute pleasure, guys. I'll give you both some time to say your, uh, say your goodbyes and say your thank yous. Go ahead, Rob. Have a good one, guys, and hope to see you next episode. Take care, everyone. Thank you so much, everybody. We will see you next time.